Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. St. Paul writes, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, and this is our text. Brothers and sisters in Christ, once again this morning, we are reminded that our ways and God's ways are not the same, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. And as I remind you of that, as paraphrased from God's word through the prophet Isaiah, let me then ask you to consider this. How much is nothing worth? How much is nothing worth? The answer is easy in our economy of thinking, nothing is worth what it says, absolutely nothing, and therefore everything is worth, in our economy of thinking, well, everything. But as we listen to St. Paul this morning, we will see that God wants to give you the nothing that is truly everything, properly understood in Christ. In Christ, God replaces the nothingness of self with the everything of himself. The very righteousness of Christ for you, for me, for all, and the eternal benefits that he freely gives as a result of making himself nothing. Don't we truly strive to have it all? Advertisers prey on that notion that is true about us for the most part. Now, having it all might be different for each one of us because the it is different for us. We may have, we may have things that are truly it in our way of thinking but are not for someone else. So what you have may not make any difference if someone else has it or not and vice versa. But the point is that having it all is what we strive for along with the world, life's possessions, experiences, accomplishments, giving little thought to one's relationship with God or only as he becomes a part of it all, if you will, 
maybe an additional insurance policy just in case what the scriptures proclaim is true. Old Testament promise, New Testament promise fulfilled. And heaven knows we do not want to be left wanting. So maybe it's one of those things that we include with having it all. Having it all in Paul's world, or from Paul's perspective, were the Judaizers of his day. Not that this was ethnically bound to just those who were followers of Judaism, but that is the perspective from which Paul saw the world and by which he attempted to have it all, and St. Paul attempted to have it all. It was in his makeup. That was his real pursuit as he advanced in the ways of Judaism. The Judaizers took great confidence in the flesh. That was found in their adherence to the law, both the law of Moses and their own additions to that law, their inventions, which were designed to help them keep the law to make sure that they didn't transgress the law, every dot and every T crossed, if you will. St. Paul well knew that following the letter of the law meant for him before the Lord had his way with him. On the road to Damascus, it meant everything for him, and so that's what he strove to do. He was traveling to Damascus, however, so that he could have his way according to the law with the followers of the way, who was Jesus Christ. For Saul of Tarsus, these followers of Christ, were an abomination to the people of God. They were blasphemers of the highest order and needed to be shown the error of their ways and further made to account for their waywardness. And so that was Paul's pursuit to make sure they were put in their place. Yet on that road to carry out his best intentions, he was met by the Lord and Saul of Tarsus became Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. He went from one who had everything to one who was called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those whom his people thought to be absolutely nothing, of no value. They were heathen, the heathen Gentiles. And so Paul could therefore write in his letter to the church of Philippi that if the law was the place in which to find confidence, he had every reason to be confident that he had it all. Paul's words, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he gives his list, circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, well, he was blameless. He was right. He was righteous. He had quite a resume. Paul's world was more consciously religious than our world today. Even if their religions were false or erring, people knew they were accountable to law, whether God's true law, be it natural or revealed, or the invented laws and tenets of religious man. They were a more religious people. 
To the man of that day, having it all focused not so much on material possessions and the accumulation of wealth as it did with whether or not one was right with God, one's relationship with God, the relationship that they could develop with God. Nevertheless, it was presumed that if you had a right relationship with God, if you were right with him, material blessing and earthly experiences would follow. So too in our day, the theology of name it and claim it says about the same thing. And because one is right with God, the perception is that they will receive it, whatever they're naming, whatever they're claiming. And if these things don't come your way, then you just must not be right with God. And so you're left to despair. I I don't have what I want. Or what I what I have is being taken away from me. So you must not be right with God. Our world is more secular. There is amongst us more and more people who have little sense of accountability to God. The concept of sin for many is that what is sin for you is not sin for me. Judge not, lest you be judged. It's a favorite passage used from scriptures to dispel another's insistence that God's law is written on our hearts so that there can be no excuse for sin. We do have consciences, but sometimes, sometimes those consciences become hardened just like our hearts. In our culture, materialism and experience have become God's even though we do not have the honesty to name them as such. So having it all in our day and time speaks little to one's religious or lack of religious persuasions. Indeed, it may be even in spite of them. Nevertheless, both worlds in the end are focused, curved in on self, the ego. The world of St. Paul found a people focused on their own self-righteousness There was a perception that one could earn God's favor, at least by outward good intentions, at least by adherence to the law. And and in many cases, that's pretty much the same today as well. Our world, however, focuses on gratifying the self through materialism and possessing the things that we consider to be valuable of great worth. For some, that means stocks, bonds, and bank accounts. For others, it could be the hoarding of what one desires to be surrounded by. And for another, it may be wisdom and understanding of what is seen and the denial of the things not seen, all of those things. But there's a problem here, humanly speaking. Having it all is never enough, is it? So that all is not everything. Because once you get what you want, you want something more, which means that you don't have it all. Watch a child in the toy aisle at a box store and watch uh, his or her reaction when mom or dad says, we need to go. You can't have that. Or take in their meltdown at the checkout when the inviting candy items strategically located at eye level are denied them. Then if you think this is just a problem with children... Why do people expend countless dollars they do not have on things they will very seldom use and yet will take years to pay for? 
There are things we all just think we have to have so that we can have everything. Just like the rich landowner in Jesus' parable, we tear down our old barns and build bigger ones so that we can house our possessions, so that we can say to our souls, eat, drink, and be merry, for we have everything. Then the Lord says to us, you fool, today I demand your soul. And we are left with nothing. Further consider this question, how often do we learn that the things we have, our hearts set on having, are really not capable of delivering lasting contentment. In terms of human righteousness, earning God's favor, or considering that one is deserving of God's favor by one's own goodness, is dangerous self-delusion. The other side of that thinking is from those who lament that they don't know if they've done enough to appease an angry God dead bent on punishment. So they despair. To think that you have it all, all that is needed to be right in God's sight is idolatry to self. The Pharisees considered themselves righteous and Paul as Saul was right there with them and he knew it. Yet our righteousness, our righteous attempts to appease God are like filthy rags before him according to his word. What we can offer is never enough even if it is everything. God, therefore, gives us the loss of everything so that in our nothingness we can know the all-sufficiency of Christ. Paul points out that Christ had made him his own and caused him to suffer the loss of all things, all things that were important to him, whether they be material or the things that he just perceived in his daily living. On the road to Damascus, Christ graciously caused Paul to know him, to know the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, even the death on the cross. For us, we go to the waters of our baptisms, where by God's power we died to sin and were raised with Christ, for there we were, we were united to his resurrection and joined to the fellowships of his sufferings, not as payment for sin, because he did that freely for us. He fills us up with his forgiveness. But at the hands of the world where Christ is still on trial. As his disciples, we are called to be his hands to the world, sharing his word, which calls hearts to repent by emptying the desire to have it all, And then sharing in God's all-sufficient grace is found in Jesus Christ. His, His grace is truly sufficient for us as his power is made perfect in all of our weaknesses, whether we think we have them or not. This is the Spirit's work done through our sharing of law and gospel, but not just the sharing of his word. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are emptied of self and every claim on our possessions, our experiences, our accomplishments, as we are filled with the means of grace, with the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, we're given to fully know by faith that he made himself nothing in order that we might be something, that he might give us everything that we need, that we might be children of God, confident that our sins are forgiven, free to share with others, free to share, and further confident 
So that as with St. Paul, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, a prize that is already yours by God's grace through his gift of faith. Amen. May this peace of God, which surpasses our human understanding, may it guard our hearts and guard our minds in faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.